Uh, Swifty's showing back there. Having a little bit too much fun with uh, the themes a little. You just, embrace it. I know you own it. Yeah, we're going. You we're got going your Travis to, Kelsey jersey too. Have you ordered that? Just like every other one. No, no, uh, no. But I, I think I would get one with the nameplate that just said Taylor's boyfriend. <laughs> that checks out. Uh, three five two seven zero. Thanks, Adventure RV, for sponsoring the text club. It's been a long, winding road. Been a few bumps along the way. Maybe even a couple of detours. But we finally got to our destination. That's having a conversation with uh, North Dakota's lone congressman. And now announced for governor and Kelly Armstrong. Congressman, welcome back to Afternoons Live. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Appreciate you, you joining us here. Uh, you know what? It's two months ago, and I do appreciate uh, you making the announcement uh, two months ago you're running for re-election, and lots changed in those two months. And one was the fact that now it's an open race for governor, and I, I know that's part of the reason because these opportunities don't come around very often in, in politics and certainly in North Dakota. Uh, but the question, aside from you know the the change of the makeup of the office, I know you you've mentioned before, even on the show, that you weren't going to you know step on Doug's toes and Doug Burgum now not running. Why? What what was the decision besides that? This is a new opportunity for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, this isn't uh, about me. We were, I mean, representing North Dakota in Congress has been one of the greatest privileges of my life. I really was, I, I really thought Doug was going to run for a third term. I really thought Doug, I wanted Doug as a citizen in North Dakota. I wanted Doug to run for a third term. But when he decided not to, uh, we had a long conversation. Uh, and by we, I mean, my wife and I sat down and had a long conversation and talked about whether we thought uh, we could do more for uh, North Dakota and DC or we could do more for North Dakota by coming back home. And so it didn't take us very long to think about it, but we decided our best way to help the citizens in North Dakota was come back here and jump in this race. It didn't surprise me, uh, you know, that, that the decision, I mean, that you decided to to veer this way. That that was, I, I'm with you. I did not see uh, Doug Burgum not running for re-election. In fact, I thought some of the moves he made uh, just within the last two months, that same time frame, indicated to me he was uh, going to be running for that third term. Uh, you're well known. I, I mean, you successfully ran for Congress. I think what you're in your fifth year. Um, what challenges does that bring you, though? Because I, I think right now you got the upper hand inside the, the Republican caucus. I, I know that our former colleague Tom Campbell's in. Uh, I know there's rumors about uh, the lieutenant governor. When you look at that landscape uh, with your work in Congress, what do you feel is the challenge that you got to overcome as far as, okay, I've done work out there. This is what I need to address. Uh, I, I mean, politically, I think the challenge is, is I've taken a lot of votes. Yeah. And you, you know this as well as anybody in the world. When you have a voting record, you have ways in which people are going to criticize you. And rightfully so. Um, I, I think that's, you know, we all talk about Teddy Roosevelt, man in the arena and all of that. But that is true. I think the other challenge, which I'm willing to accept and I'm going to deal with, is I'm not going to poll test. Every answer, every answer I give to a question, uh, I try really hard not to do that. I try to tell people what I think. I try to learn more about things I don't know. And I'm going to be honest with the American people or with the North Dakota people, and I'm going to do that. And and that's how I'm going to approach running for this, because I think it's too important. And, yeah, I fully anticipate a really competitive primary. Nobody's entitled to any of this, least of all me or anybody else who decides to run. And. Uh, we all love our state too much to have a coronation, so we should have we should have a robust and competitive campaign and may the best man or woman win. 
as far as the, the com- contest goes, which I think is healthy, uh, I mean, I really do, uh, within these parties as well, and certainly the, the North Dakota Republican Party has been far superior for quite some time now. And uh, like I said, these opportunities not coming around often shows that the ambition, which is not a negative, I don't mean that a negative, is there for no. people that, that, hey, look, it's now is my chance. My question, because we've watched now in a number of races, and, and actually the last contested governor's race where – you had uh, Doug Burgum, you had Wayne Stenjum, and uh, uh, the convention sided with Wayne Stenjum, and, of course, Doug Burgum went around and, and won the primary. It, are you going for the convention endorsement? I'll start there. Are, are you going for the, uh, the convention's endorsement? Yeah, I'm going to try and win the convention. I'll win the primary, and I'll do everything I can to win the general election. I mean, that's how. I mean, I've been a state party chairman yeah. without a strong party, without a strong grassroots. I mean, and we can go back way in history before you and I were involved in politics. And you know, that's one of the places where way back uh, the Democratic Party had a fracture, and that happened as well. And I mean, there's a lot of different things that happen, but. Uh, if you're not afraid to go into a tough room and take some criticism, this is the wrong line of work for you. Yeah. No, and you're and right. I mean that the, seriously. Yeah. And, and you're right about the Democratic uh, that fracture, and quite frankly, many point to that and say that's what what was the beginning of the end of any uh, political dominance from that party. Uh, so there is that risk there, and you're kind of seeing it as observations of, of the party. What you just mentioned that you you were previously chair of the follow up. You mentioned yeah, going to the convention and the primary. So if you don't receive the endorsement. You're automatically going to go to the primary. Yeah, I'm going to. I mean, I'm going to be in this thing as far as we go. And I think you know, I don't. I whether we wish that was the case or not, but those kind of rules and self-imposed regulations only work if everybody puts them on themselves. And I just don't think we're at a place in time to do that. And more importantly, I mean, we're going to decide who the next governor of the state of North Dakota is, and that happens. That happens at the voting booth. That's where it happens. That's where it should happen. It's. It's good. As an observer, it's exciting times. I mean, you got this race that you're now a part of and the race that you're exiting from in Congress there. And of course, people are starting to line up there as well. And I don't need to ask you about your thoughts on who's running there, but I want to ask about the job itself. I mean, there's been a lot that's happened uh, since the last time you and I've been able to to visit here. And when it comes to votes, uh, one of the votes that you have taken was uh, HR2. I know you've talked about that when it comes to border security, immigration reform. That's in the Senate. The Senate's now taking up a bipartisan approach, and Lindsey Graham's saying, look, this is the opportunity. Democrats have caved here. But I've heard Mike Johnson and the Speaker of the House saying, look, it's DOA. I'm curious your thought on that approach. Why? I have to read it. Um, I've always made two – I mean, my answer to this in a really simple way is it has to functionally and strategically – give us operational control of the border again. Anything less than that is lip service. And and if we if we hold out only for HR two, and I mean this, if that is if that is our line in the sand, then that that isn't going to be law. I wish the Democrats in the Senate would find enlightenment and vote for HR two. They're not going to. So if you believe this and have said it, and I've said it on your radio show and I'll say it on every radio show, that this is the number one crisis going on in our country right now and you have an opportunity to meaningfully do that and meaningfully do that means things that kelly armstrong believes are significant enough to do that because i've spent a lot of time in this space i was on the immigration subcommittee and judiciary i worked on hr2 i worked on putting hr2 into the most conservative cr we have ever passed off the floor. i mean most conservative border bill and most conservative spending bill 
that we ever had the opportunity to get off the floor of Congress. But by the way, it wasn't it wasn't Democrats who beat that. Twenty one Republicans who voted no on. it. And so I my answer to this is I am not interested in a messaging bill. I am not interested in incremental change. This has to give our law enforcement and our border communities operational control of the border. It's the only test I have. I don't care about the politics of it. Well, uh, when I see that there's uh, people starting to line up, I was visiting with somebody out in uh, D.C. earlier today, uh, just trying to get some background on where that bill is right now, and I know what number they're trying to get to. And if they're able to get to that number as far as uh, Senate votes – that's a big bipartisan vote. I heard 65 is what they're hoping to get to. I don't know if they will, uh, but that would indicate to me, okay, there's something done here. And I, I just remember, and this is before uh, you were there. In fact, I think you and I were both out in uh, Bismarck. They were so close, and it's the same scenario, but except for uh, Joe Biden, it was Barack Obama. And instead of uh, Mike Johnson, it was John Boehner, and it was the House again that you had a bipartisan Senate bill. They got there. They got it done. John Hoven, Heidi Heitkamp. And then the House didn't take it up, and now here we are. 11 years later, and it's still just as hot an issue that nothing's been done about. Yeah, and I mean, this goes back a lot farther than that, too. And it has been, a, I mean, a bipartisan failure. And even after that, when President Trump first became president, he had good lap one and good lap two. And there were a lot of different issues with that. But by any stretch of his imagination, none of those problems come anywhere close to the crisis that is going on there right now. And we're going to have to figure it out. But I, I, I will be serious. I mean, I'm serious. I, and I understand senators, too. And this is no offense to my friends on the other side of the Capitol. Sometimes they get so interested in getting a deal done, they don't really recognize whether or not it's a good deal or not. So what the text says and what it does is going to be a lot more important to me than what the spin about what the bill does. Congressman Armstrong, our guest, also a candidate for governor of North Dakota. Um, I noticed all the endorsements starting to file up. In fact, but one of your potential opponents in the governor's race, the lieutenant governor, Tammy Miller, same day that, uh, well, you and I were going to be visiting a Monday, and, um, well, the announcement came of Doug Burgum. And now all of a sudden, I don't, it's not often I see a lieutenant governor announcing that they're endorsing a candidate for president, which tells me she might be in here. But she endorsed Donald Trump. I know John Holvin has. I know Kevin Kramer has, Doug Burgum did. I don't know that I've seen an endorsement for the presidency from you. Have you endorsed Donald Trump yet? I did, and I did uh, as soon as New Hampshire was over. I mean, the, the, rea- the, rea- the reality and the reaction to this is everybody had their shot. They had their opportunity to take it. I, I just got done telling you why I think primaries are good for races I'm in. Primaries are good for the National Party, too. Uh, Donald Trump's the former president. He's not the incumbent. But We've gone through Iowa. We've gone through New Hampshire. We know, I mean, he has won them both. He's done them both convincingly, and we need to quit training our fire on each other. He's going to be the nominee for president, and he's going to be, and it's time to work and make sure we're taking care of going after the things that this Biden administration is doing to our country. You're an attorney, and uh, he's got some legal challenges. Well, he got many legal challenges. And one thing that he keeps coming back to, uh, and I want your attorney hat on here, and then your political, uh, presidential immunity, saying, look, we be- we have to have clearance to do everything or retirement is going to suck. We're not going to have any peace of mind. Your reaction to him claiming he should have presidential immunity for things that he did while in the White House? Well, I think presidents should have a wide branch and should have immunity, and I don't think it is absolute. I think that, I mean, I think there's a nuance to that. I think there are ways, I, I, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I think sometimes the legal arguments for President Trump, not the political arguments, don't do as well as, as they could. But in oral arguments or some of those things, they should have a wide range. I mean, we all know the 
the, the story about the legal argument, my answer to that would be, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying we have it for this. You give me loaded hypotheticals. It is the court's determination to determine where that line is, but there has to be some of it. And it's true, especially as much as gotcha politics we have and as many decisions as presidents have to make that are really important, have to be made quickly and have to be made with certainty. And you can't have, we can't have a scenario that actually exists in far too many other countries where every ex-president goes to jail for something they did as president. But no, I don't believe that immunity is absolute. Well, uh, one of the, I just don't. Yeah. Well, and I, I found myself nodding my head, at least the absolute part, because I, I mean, yeah. look, he, he was basically his attorney saying, look, if the president orders SEAL Team 6 to go kill his political opponent, that's okay if he's president. That is startling. That is frightening to have an attorney for the former president make that claim that, yeah, unless he was impeached and convicted. Uh, Oh, that's a slippery slope, my friend. Uh, Well, and and, and then there is really, I mean, impeachment. So I disagree a little bit with that because I think impeachment is a political remedy. I I, I said this under two of the impeachments against President Trump. If you're going to pick a jury in the Senate, you're never going to have an unbiased jury. We've got, I mean, we've got, we're partisan political body. That's not, it's not, it's not, its job is not to be an unbiased jury. If I was actually a lawyer picking a jury, I'd strike all 100 senators for cause. So I think we should talk about things the way they are, not like these other things, because a jury is supposed to be an unbiased group of people. A partisan body is absolutely elected because of their beliefs and their bias. Congressman, I've only got a few minutes here. The one of the because we've been kind of shuffling around, having to reschedule quite a few times, and I know a lot of it comes down to scheduling. Maybe not Monday, but that's a conversation we'll have a different time. Uh, but the we one, could have that offline, and I owe you an apology. Uh, well, I appreciate that. I just don't avoid KFGO. You you know we got a large audience here, and they like to hear from you. Well, I try not to avoid you no. guys. I think I do as good a job oh, yeah. as anybody I, being I, on regularly, no, I think, and, I, and I appreciate it. Yeah, I think you you do a lot better than uh, the other. So I want to give you credit for that. But one of the last times was uh, because, well, an oversight hearing was had and there was going to be a contempt of Congress vote. And then he showed up and his name was Hunter Biden. And uh, of course, now after that happened, didn't get questioned there, but he's agreed to finally sit down for a closed door deposition. Uh, My question is, will they, would you encourage they release the full unedited, unredacted transcript of that meeting? So we know fully what was said and what wasn't. Yes, and I think we should do that. I wish Adam Schiff would have done that when he had a secret bunker for six months instead of leaking and opening statements to the press. But I also think we should do the deposition and then we should have a public hearing. Um, I'm in a little different space. I think we get to determine how to do this. I also think it's the right move. I've seen some of my colleagues and pundits say, well, you should just hold them in criminal contempt. Well, if you hold them in criminal contempt, you're never going to get the testimony. So the fact that I was in judiciary, not oversight, when he okay. showed up, I also think that I think that is a pretty brazen and bold move. But at the end of at the end of those markups and before we voted it on the floor, we've secured Hunter Biden's testimony. That's what I want. I want, and I'll be at that deposition. I want to see how he answers questions. I think there are real serious questions that demand answers. But yeah, I think we should release them all. I, I mean, I, I mean, there's going to be some depending on what the national security sure. or some of those different issues. I'm, I, I I get that part of it. But I also think we should schedule an open hearing again as well, too. I mean, that's part of that's part of the gig and how we do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for transparency, and I've, I've said it before into this microphone. Look, if there's something there, as the claims have been, uh, I haven't seen the evidence yet, but an open, transparent way, there's something there. Go, throw the book at them. And uh, on the other side of this whole equation as well, uh, Congressman, I've only got a minute left. Uh, so you're, you're, I mean, you're not resigning from Congress to, to run for governor. How are you going to make that work as a campaign unfolds? 
I'm going to find out how much sleep I can live on, Tyler. Uh, we have a two-vote majority, and I got moved on judiciary specifically to deal with some of these things. Um, I will be honest. I mean, if we have a suspension vote on a fly-in night, we'll work around some of that stuff. But we're going to have some serious votes on funding government. We're going to have serious votes and serious hearings in, in judiciary, and I'm going to be there to do it. Uh, so I'm really glad I have a team that's been with me for as long as I've been engaged in this stuff. And I think uh, I have the best, I'm biased, but I think I have the best staff in D.C. And I have the best chief of staff in politics. And I'm going to trust her to make sure my schedule works as flawlessly as possible. And you know as well as I do that all will blow up by 9 a.m. on Monday mornings. But that's fine. We'll react and we'll adapt. Well, uh, Congressman, I'm against clock, but I'm glad we're able to have this conversation. It was a long time coming. And let's do this as this campaign rolls on, all right? And we're going to see it. We're going to try to stay on our schedule, I promise. All right. I appreciate that. You take care on the trail, all right? All right. All right. Yeah. Congressman Kelly Armstrong, also a governor or candidate here in North Dakota. Lots of reaction. I'm coming back to you right after KFGO News.